Hello and welcome to Groove Therapy, a podcast that explores the effects of live music on our brains, bodies, and our lives and provides a space for you, our listener, to learn more about how you can bring the magic of live music into your everyday life. My name is Dr. Leah Taylor, and I am joined here with my fantastic co-host, Tara Lee Weathers. Hi, everyone. I'm so happy to be here. Hi, Tara Lee. Hi. (laughs) Would you like to lead us through some breathing? Yes, I would love to. So if it is available to you and you are not driving right now, I want you to put your hands on your heart and close your eyes. If you are driving, you can still do this, but please pay attention to the road. And we're just going to take three deep breaths together. So take a deep breath in through your nose and exhale out your mouth. And inhale through your nose and exhale out your mouth. And inhale through your nose and exhale out your mouth. And may our time together be filled with magic, rainbows, biodegradable glitter, and lots and lots of insights. And so it is. And so it is. Yeah, so just noticing how you feel right now after taking those three breaths with us. And also know that this is something that we did with our guest this episode, Nat Keefe, before we began our interview. And we actually do it with pretty much all of our guests to just kind of bring us all into sync. It's a great way to sync up our energies and, and also come in hopefully a little bit more relaxed it helps to activate our relaxation response, breathing in that way. And, you know, life is stressful and our minds can be so active with so many different things. What? What are you talking about? I don't understand that. (laughs) I know. It's kind of crazy to think of, especially (laughs) with somebody with ADHD. (laughs) Yeah, my mind is always going. But yeah, so it just is an opportunity to, because when we engage our relaxation response, we come more into our bodies and it quiets our mind. And it's just so easy to do that with three breaths. And then we can really focus on what's important instead of like wondering what we need to do after this and what we forgot on our grocery list and what our best friend meant when they sent us that text and all of those things. Yeah, it'll make whatever it is that you want to experience in the present moment even more powerful. So even if you do this before a show, if you do this before you have a big meeting, if you do this before making lunch for your kids, it's going to make that moment much more enjoyable and relaxed and calm. Yes. And we are all about you having experiences and allowing this to be experiential. So that's just one of the ways that we're bringing that to you. Yeah. So as I mentioned, this episode, we have the pleasure of talking to the uber-talented Nat Keefe, and Nat shares his insights on music and all of the ways that he is helping music to the people. So some of those ways are, is of course, Nat has his band Hot Buttered Rum, which he has been in for 22 years now with some of his bandmates, like Eric Yates and Brian Horn, I know are original and they've been playing together for a really long time. So Nat has hot buttered rum. He also has done a lot of travel to Africa, which he talks about. And he even got to like really document and record some of their dances there, which I think is really cool. I can't wait for you to hear that story. And 
possibly inspired by that. Nat talks a little bit about that too. He has his project called Beat Mower, which is like a DJ thing that Nat is putting together. And I've seen Nat do Beat Mower a few times. It always gets me dancing. And one of my favorite things with Beat Mower is when musicians come and play on top of the beats that Nat's laying down. And so, of course, it's always improv because, you know, they don't practice these things. But like that's it's just such a great experience to be dancing to Nat's beats that he's put a lot of intention behind and then have musicians come and play on top of that. In addition to that, Nat also produces other people's music, helps to bring it out into the world as a producer of music. Really? It's so cool. I think I I called him in the interview. I was like, you're a medicine man. And, you know, live music is our medicine and he's delivering the medicine in so many interesting and unique ways. It's really cool. Like he is so talented. It's amazing. Yeah, it really is. And he has a lot of insights to share with you in this episode. And so I'm really excited for you to be able to hear it. Yeah, buckle up. You're going to learn so many things and be so inspired. I would love, love, love nothing more than to hear what you're up to because it's always something really cool. Yeah, thank you. I do have something exciting to share. So starting the first week of January 2022, I am going to be leading an online six-week mindfulness meditation series called Free Your Mind. And it is going to help you break free from all of those kind of nagging thoughts that you just can't seem to let go of. It's going to help you to find peace and harmony inside so that no matter what is going on outside of you, you can still feel grounded and clear and free from outside distractions. So I'm really excited about that. What I have found in my own experience and working with many, many people, helping them to set up a mindfulness practice is that a lot of times we even know what to do and you know we know that we should do it but it's actually taking the time to establish it and having the support and doing that so that's why I love working with small groups so this is going to be just 10 people so that I can really help each and every one of you to set up and establish a mindfulness practice because I know how much mindfulness can benefit everybody. And really mindfulness is one of the only mind-body practices that I recommend to everybody that I work with because it is so foundational to so many other things that we can do in our life. When we can be more present in our lives, it just makes them so much more beautiful. And it allows us to let go of all of these little nagging thoughts that can bring us down and that can really distract us from the beauty of life. So I love nothing more than helping people to establish that so that they can bring it out in all areas of their life. So in these six weeks, we will be learning lots of different ways to use mindfulness in your life. And you'll get mindfulness practices from me that you can use whenever you want to. There'll be six of them, for one for each week. And again, I will be helping you to really set up and establish a practice. So whether you're new to mindfulness or whether you have practiced before, but you have kind of fallen out of the habit, then this is definitely for you. If you are interested in finding out more or getting 
in this group that's going to be starting the first week of January, then please send me an email to leah at embodiedgroove.com and I would love to have you there. Yay! Tara Lee, why don't you let listeners know what you're up to these days and how they can be in touch with you? Yeah, so one thing that's lighting me up a lot is helping people that have a trillion business ideas kind of figure out how to take those ideas and turn them into a viable money-making business and using their ADHD as one of their entrepreneurial superpowers. And this is a passion of mine, and we are running another round of the group program. It's called Rocking Life Entrepreneur, and it's just pure magic. And the businesses that have come out of this program already, it's just so cool. And everybody's inspired by live music and we're always dancing together. And the community that's created is amazing. Everybody's like great friends and supporting each other's businesses. And it's a really wonderful thing to like walk the path of entrepreneurship, especially if you're like new to this, to do it together and do it with other people that happen to love live music and also happen to have ADHD. It's like a pretty powerful experience. So if that's something that you're interested in and you want to just talk about what that is, maybe you have like a whole bunch of ideas and you don't quite know how it could be a business or you've just always wanted to start a business, but you don't know exactly what that is. I would love to talk to you. So if you head on over to my website, rockinglife.com and find the contact me section and send me an email, I will get right back to you. Yay, that (laughs) sounds fantastic. Thank you. And we are a part of the Osiris Podcast Network. So check out all of the podcasts that Osiris has to offer because they're so incredible. If you love live music, there's definitely something for you there. And also give us a follow on Instagram at Rocking Life with two underscores and check out our Facebook group, Group Therapy Podcast Community. (laughs) And we would love to connect with you there. All right. Well, we will be right back with Matt. All right. And we are back with Nat. Welcome, Nat. Thanks so much for being here. Thank you. Thank you. Good to be here. Yeah, I'm really excited to dive into this conversation with you about healing through music and specifically live music, because that's really what we talk about here on the Groove Therapy Podcast. So Nat, you, I feel like you, you have such a wide range of things that you do in the musical world from, you know, creating music to producing music to, you know, traveling to record music in Africa. And like, what are your thoughts on, I know healing through live music is a huge topic, but what are some of the things that first come to your mind when I say that? Well, I'm a believer again and again, I've come to music in the hardest of times, and it's, it's always come through for me. And I've had a longer relationship with music than I have with most of my best friends. And it, it's just been a constant companion. It can take so many different forms. You know, sometimes that's helping someone else make their music. Sometimes that's me participating in someone else's music. And sometimes it's me making my own music. And it just keeps going deeper and deeper. And I'm grateful that I get to keep doing it. Yeah. So, you know, I think your longest project that you have is Hot Buttered Rum. 
and you have been touring mm-hmm. with Hot Buttered Rum, and you just recently came off a show that you described as very hot. And I'm curious, like, what makes a show hot to you? <laughs> um, <laughs> good question. Yeah, good, good question. Man, it is a complicated recipe, and you know, when you hit it right, there's there's nothing like it. And you know, I think there has to be some risk involved where when you go on stage and all the people that are going on stage and coming to the show, you have to be risking something in order to really gain something. And so I know that I'm going to be a little bit disappointed if these things in the show don't come together the way that I want them to. A little bit disappointed. I don't beat myself up too much. So yeah, I, I try to take risks and kind of put my heart on the line a little bit every time. And what does that look like? What does that mean? Like what kind of risks do you take? I mean, a lot of it is being open and feeling that you can be intimate with the people that are there or to even just like project intimacy. And it's a matter of like feeling that you could look silly or feel silly or that someone would say he's not cool. It's like going back to junior high uh, fears and, you know, not, not that that's the primary thing that I'm preoccupied with, but yeah, you have to put something on the line in order to gain something. So is that like playing a song that you haven't rehearsed or is that like switching up set lists? Like, what does that look like in the live music? Yeah. Every show, I need to have something that is new and exciting for me. So that might be a a new song that we've only played a couple times or playing for the first time. That might be a sequence of songs that we've worked out and we're all, okay, we're going to go from this one to that one. And let's just do one verse of this and do that. Sometimes it's that I warmed up on the guitar a lot and I'm going to try some new things when I take a solo. Okay. So bringing in something new. Yeah. I mean, we've been doing this band since 1999, 22 years. Can you believe that? And you have to mix it up. Like you have to push the edge. And for the for the first few years of a project like that, the edge takes care of itself because you're trying to just get a foothold. You're trying to figure out what your recipe is. You're trying to connect with even just like two people in the audience. But as it goes on and on, you have to kind of create your own challenges as a group and individually. Yeah. What is the biggest risk that you've ever taken in the 20 something years? That's that's a good question. I could tell you about some of the biggest failures I've done on stage. <laughs> so Yeah. I want to how about your one, biggest failure and then your biggest success. Okay. Okay. So that sounds good. So let's see. Biggest failure. I've forgotten words to songs in some large situations. I once forgot the words to the weight, you know, the band song, take a load off. Sitting in with Mo at the Denver Fillmore in front of like 3,000 people. And we were like the young band, that young opening band. And then they do the wait at the end of the night. And they're like nice enough to let me sing a verse. And so I'm there playing with like Mo just like bumping behind me and, you know, 3,000 people in front of me. And I totally screwed up the lyrics. That was a real failure. And then I forgot the lyrics to my own song, Honky Tonk Tequila, on the stage of the Greek theater when we were playing there with string cheese incident. And that was, that was really a failure too. Okay. But then the biggest risk that I've ever taken, that's a hard thing. You know, the, the, the risks I take are, are incremental risks. I would say it's, it's like, I'm going to try to do this song in a certain way. I'm going to try to do my best on this. I'm going to try to do that. I don't, I generally 
set myself up for success. And it's my game to lose at that point. Yeah. Well, I don't want to keep talking about your failures, but I'm curious <laughs> <laughs> of what did you do when you forgot the words? Like, how, did you cover it up or how, what did you do in that instance when that happened? Well, the Greek theater thing was pretty cool. We had some like great friend fans there. And so I decided to just own the moment. I'm just like, oh my gosh, I'm forgetting the lyrics to the third verse. And I'm like, I'm Gronfin, are you out there? And I'm like, what are the lyrics? And, and he's all, that man said always abide. And then I'm all, and then I was, I was right there with so owning. And I, I think it ended up turning into a good moment and uh, brought everybody into it, into the humanity of the moment, I hope. That sounds beautiful. And you were talking about wanting to create intimacy. And that is like, I mean, that's intimate. And you reach out to the crowd for help. That's yeah. amazing. That, tr- yeah. sound, that doesn't sound like a failure. That sounds like a huge success. Yeah. Well, the the failure would have been if I, uh, you know, bunched up and like tightened up and I'm like, oh, you know, darn it, darn it, darn it. You know, I'm, I suck. You know, that's, <laughs> that's the last thing you, you should do. You should always turn out into the next thing. I've been at lots of shows with lots of bands that have forgotten lyrics. So you're definitely not the only <laughs> one. And you're not alone. <laughs> and yeah, even times where they've kind of had to turn towards the audience and those fans <laughs> that sing along all the time and, and are right there to help you. And we love that as fans. It's like, like Tara Lee said, you yeah. know, it's just a reminder of our humanity, like, right? We're all human. I don't know how anybody remembers all the lyrics all the time anyway. <laughs> so I think that's a huge yeah, feat. Totally. But I'm curious just to come back to the whole hotness of a show. And so you show up vulnerable, right? And you're trying something new. But then there's also the response of the audience that's there that I would imagine helps to create that hot show or that experience. So what happens then? How are people responding that makes it better than some other times? Well, so it's the sum total of everyone who's there and what they're putting out into the room. But outliers can affect the show in a positive or a negative way. Just a couple, maybe in the front row or maybe in the back row, who are really feeling it and connecting with us and pushing the vibe up, that makes all the difference. We Hot Buttered Rum needs like one or two people connected with us to put on our A game. And that's sometimes all it takes. It's just like one person who's fully committed. And the flip side of that is that one person can ruin the show too. That hasn't happened in a long time. But if someone is too drunk or mean, or there's a fight or something like that, we haven't seen that in a long time. But the power is in the hands of the people who are there to uh, bring it up or even bring it down. Yeah. I think Tara Lee and I can get into that. We definitely are fans that are that love to connect with music. And uh Well, if you're if you're there, <laughs> Leah, then you know, a game on, let's go. Yes. Thank you. Tara Lee too, I know. We'll have to get both of us at a show, see what happens. Yeah. But then there's a times like um I saw Ryan Montblou in Albany last weekend and he was doing his encore and this woman in the very front He's playing the song and it's one of his own songs. And she just keeps yelling, fast car, play fast car. I don't like this song. Play fast car. And he's like, and he was playing he just, fast car. No, he was playing like his original song. Oh. And she just kept on yelling fast car because she wanted him to play that. And he like 
hadn't played it yet. Like the Tracy Chapman song? Yeah, because he does a really amazing cover oh, of that song. Oh, good. So she kept on like yelling it while he was playing. And he just stopped and he said, excuse me, this is really rude. And that Ooh, is good. like, I'm not playing that song and you should move to the back. Ooh, way to, way to take it by the horns. Good right? job, Ryan. But he did it like in a really, it was like a firm, but I'm making it sound mean, but he did it in this kind, but like firm way of like, yeah. I'm playing right now and I'm playing something that I wrote that like I'm singing from my heart and you're singing that you don't like yelling that you don't want that song. And that could have really like affected the whole thing. But he just said it and then moved on and everybody cheered. <laughs> they were like, yeah, go Ryan. Ooh, that's good. Yeah. And yeah. And you have to not be afraid to take control of the situation when to sort of like back of the beat guys like me and others are maybe slow to do that sometimes, but it's the right thing to do. You have to take control of the situation sometimes because you're the only one with a microphone. Yeah, and at that moment, she was controlling the situation. Exactly, exactly. It's important to bring the focus and control back to you. Well, Nat, let's dive into your experience in Africa and Ghana and like, how did you get into that? Tell, how did that happen? What was your inspiration for that? So let's see. Uh, my senior year of high school, my mom had this phase where she went to Mali, West Africa, two times in two years. And she helped uh, this ophthalmologist do surgeries over there. And she listened to a lot of music, brought back a lot of music, turned me a lot of music. My, my mom is a great musician. She's a, a harpsichordist and a keyboardist and a music teacher. And when she was 22, she was a hot shot harpsichordist who like traveled around the world and did Baroque music everywhere. Anyway, she turned me on to the music of Molly and specifically this book called John Chernoff called African Rhythm and African Sensibility. And the recordings and the book really got me excited about West African music. And so it was always in my mind. So that that's why my like senior year of high school and then when I had a, an opportunity to uh, do a semester abroad, I'm like, I want to go to West Africa and uh, decided on Ghana for a number of reasons. And there was a good program that went there. So I did my junior year abroad in Ghana, junior semester abroad in Ghana. And then I got this grant from my college to travel afterwards and record a bunch of music and study with a couple of people. And so I was there for six months or, or so, five and a half months. So that was the first trip. And then I graduated college and immediately went back. And so then two years later, I was back in Ghana and I went for nine weeks that time. And I was on my own. I wasn't affiliated with any program, but I went back to my old advisor there and said, man, I am looking for a project to do. And uh, I've got recording equipment and video equipment. He said, well, there's this group of villages in, in the Volta region, the Eastern part of Ghana, and they're looking to document some of their old dances that aren't properly being passed down to the next generation. And I was like, yes, sign me up. And so I went, it's called the Awudume region. And it's this five villages and it's all around Lake Volta, which is the kind of the jungly region of Ghana in the East with the Ewe people. And Ewe music is known for its complexity and its polyrhythmic drumming, really heavy, deep, deep stuff. And people there are generally engaged still with the old culture. And so I went there and basically hung out for days and days. And I, I had my friend Edinam Ansa, 
who was one of the elders there, who would take me around to a different village each day. And so we'd go there. And on the first day, we would go to the chief of the village and just go kind of tell him our business, ask permission to do the whole thing. And, they, you know, he was already on board with it. And then we would drink gin for a long time. And so, you know, we'd go there at like 11 o'clock in the morning and we'd, you know, pour gin to the ancestors. And then I'd be like in this, you know, little kind of a hut with all the old guys and I would bring a bottle of gin and then they had a bottle of gin too. And we'd, you know, pour one to the ancestors and then drink one and then pass it around and then pour another one. And, you know, before you knew it, you'd have like seven or eight gin drinks and it's like, you haven't even had lunch yet. And we'd like stagger out into the hot blazing equatorial sunlight and then go, go sleep it off and then come the next day. And they would have assembled all the old folks in town to do these dances and whatever they wanted to have captured. And it was amazing. It was just amazing. I got to be there for, you know, some, sometimes these might've been the last performances, full-on performances of these dances, because these are like 60, 70, 80 year old people. And the dynamic in a lot of these villages is that the young kids you know, first of all, they're into hip hop and they're into high life music and foreign music and at the very least city music from Ghana. And so in these places, the the dances hadn't been passed down very well. And so we videotaped it. And I mean, it was amazing to be in the middle of some of this energy where, you know, a circle of people, like 40 people wide doing these like coordinated dances going around in a circle with all the drummers in in the middle. And it was my job to videotape it and record the audio. And so I I figured out a lot of stuff real fast and the movie came out pretty well. So that was my second trip to Ghana. And then I come home, send them the movie. And then I don't get back to Ghana for another 10 years. And then in 2011, I'll, I'll tell you about the, the other part of it later, but part of this trip is that I then brought back the movie to one of these villages and the chief somehow arranged for a VCR and a TV to, to be there. And, I, and, and we put it in and played the movie to this whole village of people and where we were playing this movie and people were remembering their old friends. Cause this is 10 years later. A lot of these people had passed on. And people were having their, getting their young kids and saying, yeah, you know, there's, there's grandma or, you know, here's, you know, uncle so-and-so. And it was a truly joyous occasion. And uh, they sort of had this ceremony and I passed off the, the DVDs and it was wonderful. It was authentic. That's amazing. I'm curious about the stories. I've studied West African drum and dance before, and I know a cool. lot of the dances have- Oh my um, gosh. So stories, did they tell you what they were, the ones that you documented? Yeah, a lot of them. And there are sort of the, the famous dances and drum beats that have, and songs that have traveled out of the Volta region. And a music is all over the place. You know, there's a Awe musician at Wesleyan, an Awe musician at UC Berkeley. And Awe's are, are some of, are, are one of the ethnicities of Ghana that have done really well outside of the country. Uh, but these, these are more like the small local specific dances. And so some of them talked about a war that happened 
a hundred years ago where the Ewes drove the Ashantis back across the Volta River. And there's this whole like gun and sword thing. That was kind of intense. And then some some of it are, are like flirtation dances for the young people to do. And it was fun seeing these 60, 70 year old grandmas shaking their thing and, you know, remembering what it was like to be to be 20. Yeah, the flirtation dances were always my favorite ones. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, totally. <laughs> so cool. That's so interesting. So I don't know a whole lot about Ghanan dances or West African dances. So they're used in many different for many different purposes, it sounds like. So like to tell stories or as kind of mating calls or whatever. Courtship yeah, stuff. courtship. What are some other reasons I mean, it's that not they were all that different than here? I mean, there's a number of market differences, but you know, people go to music for the same stuff. It's to like get out and about and have fun and hook up with the cute girl next door. And then some sometimes it's it's to sort of like be part of this sense of history. You know, if I go see Bob Dylan play or something or John Prine, I never saw John Prine play. I'm kind of sad about that. You're engaging with this history. Or if you go see the symphony play, you're engaging with this European history. And it's not all that different. All the technicalities and specifics are different, but it's a little bit cheesy to say that music is this universal language because there are more differences than similarities, but there are some underlying similarities for why people do music everywhere. And there's a reason why music is part of every human culture that we know about. It's an essential part of being human, I think. Mm -hmm. And so in their heyday, when these dances were occurring, just as part of the community, how how often would they occur? Would it be like once a week they would get together and do these dances or just at special times? That's a really good question. That's a, that's a really good question. I don't have a, a specific answer for it, but I had the feeling that it was like a Friday night kind of thing where people would do their work week and then people would get together and there wasn't radio or TV or anything like that a hundred years ago. And so, you know, you'd get together and you'd, you'd jam and sometimes the party would be big and sometimes it would be more modest. But the thing that I took away from that experience is that there's not some static traditional dance or traditional music, even in a place like Ghana, where you, people talk about the tradition. That tradition has been a dynamic thing for a long, long time. And it's been changing throughout the last, you know, through, through hundreds of years. And there are some aspects that have stayed consistent, I'm sure. But then for, for the most part, it's, it's changed a little bit with, with the times, just like things do here. And so how have those experiences kind of influenced your musicality or your way that you approach music, or perform music? I became very aware of the, the social context of music and how important that is. And that is a big part of your performance and, a, and part of your responsibility as a musician. So like the context that music happens in is as important as the music itself. So when you play in a sweaty club at 11 and you go on at 11 PM and there's all kinds of chemical enhancements and, and people are dancing and, and getting down, that is one context. And there's a whole set of rules that you, rules is too hard and fast of a word, but sort of customs in that culture that you should be aware of, you know? And then when you are in a, at a, a coffee shop and you're playing 
quiet music. There's a whole set of customs that go with that. And when you're at, you know, a show that starts at 7 p.m. and in, in, in a theater where people are seated, there's a whole social custom for that. And it kind of cued me into that dynamic a little bit more as I was playing in all these different places. So as to like not try and make it the same across the board, but to really um, tailor the experience to the context that it's being created in. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And so that I think good performers everywhere are aware of that dynamic and it can be their superpower to to fit into exactly what's going on. Yeah, that makes sense. You wouldn't play necessarily the same at even at the same festival, like a day set when there's little kitties running around opposed to like the 2 a.m. set in a cabin somewhere. Like oh, that yeah. Would likely not be the same show. Yeah. Yeah. Whether whether you like it or not. But, you know, as a, as a performer, you can take that bull by the horns and be the one who's in control of it instead of just going and like reacting to what it is. You you say, OK, th- this is what's up. We're going to make this awesome right here right now with the cards that are on the table, with the people that are here and the space that we're in. And how do we make that a special moment for everybody right now? Yeah, it kind of reminds me of your three different sets that you did this past year at Camp Deepin and just how unique they were, but also like how perfect they were for the time because you guys had, I think the last set on Friday or I don't remember when you played on Friday, but it was like coming, it was like, okay, let's get this party started. And it was just, it was like a perfect aspect to that. And then on Sunday, you know, you had the, your acoustic set in the amphitheater, right? Is that what that's called? <laughs> mm-hmm. um, which was just so yeah. perfect. And so, yeah, I can really see how how that intention played out in those experiences because those three sets were all so different, but they were all so perfect for where they were placed within the festival and just the surroundings that they were in too. Very much so. We put a lot of thought into that, Eric and I did. And, you know, you have to figure out what your game plan is And then you have to get the rest of the band on board with that, both kind of emotionally, emotionally, everyone's always on board, but technically make sure that everybody, you know, if you have new songs or new transitions or new this or that, you need to make sure everyone is on board with that. And and then once you get into that situation, I like to have a lot of planning, a lot of structure, but then have a lot of flexibility in the moment too. And if you can do both those things, lots of planning and then lots of flexibility, then you're putting yourself in a situation for success. Yeah. This this actually reminds me of when, uh, who was it that was talking about flow, Leah? Lebo. Are you talking about Lebo? Lebo, yes. And <laughs> you guess. already do. <laughs> and he talked about how you have to have structure and surrender and where that overlaps is flow. Structure well, and surrender. Those are better words. D- you get dis- to have a little alliteration discipline there. Discipline and surrender. Case. It's actually, he had, oh, mm-hmm. wait, what did I you say? You said structure, but yeah, uh, he has a shirt. Nat, oh, look, look for the <laughs> shirt. It's like two circles and there's one that's discipline and there's one that's surrender. Where they come together is flow. And it's like the perfect, it's just, it encapsulates, I think the flow experience so nicely in this just one graphic where it's just like, ah, yeah, that's it. But yeah, it sounds like that's what you're talking about. And people sometimes fall too heavily on one side or the other. And, or, you know, we all have times when we fall too heavily on one side or the other. You don't want to be just disciplined and you don't want to be all 
freedom and flow because you, you'll just float away. And if you're all disciplined, you're going to be too rooted to the ground. You want to be like right in the middle. Yeah. Well, tell us a little bit about your beat mower experience or project. I'd love to hear like what what got you interested in in doing that? Because that's more of like a DJ set. I mean, it's kind of it's very different than what you do with hot buttered rum. For sure. So that's definitely related to the Africa thing. And it's related to a few different things. And it's related to Burning Man too. I'm realizing like it was like 4 a.m. And I was dancing around the embers of the burning, burned man and in all kinds of a heightened state. And I had this vision for the kind of electronic controlled acoustic music that I would be able to make. I'd, I'd done a, le- a lot of electronic music in my early 20s, but not dance music, more like soundscape stuff. And even in my first trip to Ghana, I had this project where I went around with my microphone and recorded everybody saying the same thing in different languages. Everybody said water, water everywhere, but not a drop to drink. And then, because there's like 50 different languages in Ghana, it's very diverse. And then, you know, even people from the States or from Europe, I would have them say it in their own languages. And then I mixed together this soundscape thing. Anyway, I was a Burning Man 4am vision for electronic music. And then it took me a long time to make good on that. I started to do that before in, I don't know, maybe three years ago, something like that. And then the trip to Rwanda last year, sped that up. And then the pandemic really sped it up. So I said, okay, so on on this last trip, Hot Hot Butter Rum went to Zambia and Rwanda last year in um, February of 2020, kind of a heck of a time. So we're like coming back. I I got home March 15, 2020, like when the pandemic is raging. It's a crazy time to be traveling. But when I was over there, I collaborated with and, and recorded various Rwandan musicians and, and Zambian musicians. And the plan was to uh, mix that with uh, the music that I had going on and make it into beat mower. And then, so I, I came home to the pandemic, you know, with sort of more time and less time as I experienced it. And then also the situation where it wasn't possible to get a whole band together, but I was still being asked to like play, you know, backyard parties, house concerts, small events and people needed to dance too. And it's hard to have it. It's hard to make a dance party happen with just like one person and a guitar or even two people, you know, you can do it. And so all those things came together to a situation where I, I like had to make dance music and make it fast. And so I heard out a bunch of beat mower stuff um, and uh, I use mostly acoustic sounds. That's kind of my aesthetic direction, manipulate them electronically and loop them electronically and dissect them electronically. And so it allows me to, I mean, you can just be this God of a little universe where you can decide on every little detail and then decide how much you want to leave up to chance when you perform it. So it it, it also touches back on the, you know, discipline versus surrender or like rigidity versus looseness, you have the opportunity and there are definitely electronic musicians in the world who just like go on stage and basically press play. And then everything is all worked out in fine detail. And there's probably some great shows that happen like that. And then on the other end of it, you can leave everything up to chance and have to like mix everything while you're going. And I think a lot of people who watch electronic music don't realize the large spectrum 
of participation that the performers have. Some have a very high level of participation in chants, and some have a lower level of participation in chants. And there's no judgment on either one of those things, but there's just like different ways to do it. And I, I educated myself about this a lot. So that's a part of it. I also went back to kind of old school turntablism and studied and listened and read about how the early DJs in the 70s and 80s and 90s would have just two sources, you know, two turntables and all the stuff that you can do with that. And basically what the computer does is it allows you to have an infinite number of turntables and more controls over what each one can do. And so that was part of my journey. And then add this to some really interesting stuff about electronic music and dance music is that it's the development in the 90s of rave culture and electronic music was intimately tied with the fall of the Berlin Wall. So, you know, the Berlin Wall fell all of a sudden there's all of like East Berlin. So there's like rich West Berlin, much poorer East Berlin. And now they're one. Everyone speaks the same language. There's sort of like hot sexy east meets west thing and this real feeling like let's celebrate and so the way that it happened is there'd be these warehouses in uh, east berlin and everybody would go and it was like where all this electronic music and dance music and rave culture flourished and then it was really exported to here a lot of the research and development happened in berlin i didn't know this and you know I, at that point, that was the dawn of the digital age of music. So there are all these new technologies that that could happen. And um, people worked out a lot of the kinks there. And that's a big part of the electronic music story. Short story long there. Oh, but it's so interesting. There was so many like tidbits of interesting things that I never knew. So yeah, thank you. For I, I didn't really know the Berlin story until the last year. It's uh, super interesting to me. So Nat, out of all of these ways that you're contributing to society with music, whether you're playing with hot buttered rum or you're making people dance with beat mower or you're documenting these dances from Africa or helping others produce, like, can you just talk a little bit about how each of these kind of fills you? Because obviously you're choosing to do these, so they, they must fill you. And I would imagine that it's in different ways because you like a, a wide range. But can you just talk a little bit about how they fill you? Yeah, man. I mean, the hop out of room thing, it will, I think it'll just, it's, it is right now and it probably will continue to be the, the center of my music world. And that's sort of like what I'm peering out from. And I'm just really, really lucky to have found lifelong collaborators, you know, and Eric and Brian and James and now, now Jeff and Ben too. A lot of people go through their whole life of music and don't like find their partner in crime. And um, Eric and I are sort of a yin and a yang in a lot of ways. Um, we have complementary skills and complementary voices complementary instruments. Um, we both went to college together and went through the same music program. So we have the same language to describe all this stuff. Anyway, all of this is to say, um, I love the collaboration and there's always heartbreak in it. You know, there's always like, I mean, collaboration is hard. I'm sure you guys know. Uh, and you, you, you have to like put in this work to communicate and uh, come to consensus, uh, which is exhausting. And um, 
It was, it was amazing. I'm going to digress a little bit here. It was, it was really interesting in the pandemic year, hot butter rum didn't play for a whole year for like 14 months. We didn't get together in the same room. And there was a lot of things I missed about it. Um, but there's a lot of things I didn't miss about it too, where you have to like run things by other people and decide together on what to do and how to do things on how to like, you know, what music to play or how to spend money or, you know, how to run the business too. And, uh, it was so good to step away from it because I, I wasn't burned out on it, but you know, you're, we, we were just sort of at the, maybe at the end of a, of a cycle or something. And, and I went that whole year without really thinking about hop at a drum very much. Uh, and I went deep with the beat mower, went deep with playing solo. I did a lot of shows with Lebo and, and Bo Carper. Um, and, uh, and then came back to hot butter rum with this super fresh uh, energy. And then, and I, I'm really appreciating what it, what it brings to my life. So anyway, that's what I appreciate about hot butter rum is the agony and the ecstasy of collaboration uh, and just the gratitude for um, having collaborators. And then um, beat mower is so much fun because I mean, I love to party. I love to dance. I love to drink. I love to get people together. I love to socialize and um, beat mower is so much fun because it, it meshes with that effortlessly uh, and at small and large scales. So, you know, you can just plug, you know, a few pieces of hardware into a small speaker. I even have like a battery powered speaker. And, and so like in the, in the pandemic, I would take the battery powered speaker and ride my bike into Golden Gate Park and meet up with, you know, just tell a few friends and like 20 or 30 of us would just go have a dance party for an hour in Golden Gate Park. And it was so much fun and so liberating and exactly where I want to be. Or it can be like a late night house party where, you know, everyone's is like getting down. And I've had some of the most ecstatic moments of the last year, uh, you know, doing beat mower, dancing with my nearest and dearest. And then it can also be like a festival thing. We haven't really done like a club date thing with beat mower yet. Um, and we're, we're working on that. Uh, and, and so that's that. Um, and then, you know, being able to do small group stuff is really nice too, which is, I really differentiate that from hot butter drum. Hot butter drum is a dance show. It's a collaboration. It's a dance party. Um, and uh, doing the solo shows is more of a folk music context. You know, remember I was talking about the importance of context. So this is, this is a, a third context where it's more of a folk music sit down. Uh, people, you know, clap after songs and maybe clap after solos, um, but aren't dancing. You know, people are sitting and listening to every detail of, you know, words and notes. And um, that is immensely satisfying too. And it was good to get my game up in that department as well. Um, so yeah, right now I'm like firing on all these cylinders where uh, we've got the hot butter dance party. We got the late night dance party, um, you know, the kind of the low, low impact, easy setup, um, you know, master of the universe kind of dance party. And then, um, and then, I, then, the, then the coffee house thing. Oh, and th this is the other thing I wanted to say that you'll, you'll be interested in. So, um, in a lot of West African music, there's the idea of the um, 
of the master drummer or sort of like the, the lead drummer who is usually, I mean, uh, it's usually, and, and actually increasingly there are women who, who are master drummers. Things are changing slowly in Ghana too, but the master drummer is sort of the MC as well as the musician. And so he'll, uh, he's very much in charge of, of making the flow of the evening happen. And, and, you know, th- this will be something, something this will be an evening that's like three or four or five hours long. And um, he communicates a little bit with his voice, but mostly with his drums um, with these sort of like musical signals. And sometimes it's actually even like a direct language um, in that, that is like a drum, a drum language that Im- imitates the, um, the vocal language. Um, but he'll say, um, okay, bring in that second part. Let's go. And then, uh, and then, okay, you know, dancers, let's do this. Or like, you know, ladies, let's, let's shake it, you know, and, and, and he'll, he'll put in those signals. Um, and so I was very inspired by being in situations like that in Ghana. I'm like, oh, that's, that's kind of my job in music too. And so in, in hot butter drum, there's a certain amount of that, but with the beat mower thing, I really do feel like the, the master drummer where um, I am in tune. I seek to be in tune with what the room is doing. What do we need now? Should we just like maintain this situation here for a little bit? Okay. And then we're going to like slowly ramp it up and then, you know, let's go big now. And, uh, or, or, or sometimes you're just like, okay, we need to like gear, gear it back down. Let's like shake it out. And, uh, let's, you know, you know, bring it back onto the ground and then we'll eventually build, build it back up. You know, people need to sort of like shake it out, talk with each, you know, connect with each other for a second. And then, then we're going to like rave, rave it back up again. Um, and so, yeah, I, I feel, I feel like the master drummer there and I'm very much inspired by that dynamic. Does that make sense? Yeah, 100%. And I love like you are a medicine man delivering like the medicine is music and you're you're giving it to people in all different ways. And it's really cool because some people only like one kind of medicine or some people want all the kinds of medicine. Yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> like I, I want all the medicine. I want all the medicine too. Yeah, I want yeah. all the medicine. Yeah. <laughs> so what you're doing is so important and it's really cool that you found different ways to like deliver that to people. Yeah, it's really good. And then a few things is nice because it doesn't put too much pressure on any one thing. Uh, you know, there's been times with Hot Butter Rome where I've, you know, felt a little bit of frustration because the group can't do this or the group want to do this or that. And having different projects going on and different kinds of projects allows you to um, have a very light energy with each one and not put too much pressure on it to be everything to you. Yeah. Plus you can fit into all kinds of different contexts, which, you know, is sounding yeah. like it's important. Yeah, exactly. Big, big or small. I mean, what Hot Buttered Rum is good at is like headlining a festival and playing like the nighttime set at the festival with, you know, any number of people dancing out in a field. And, and, you know, with like six of us now, we create this huge sound and it, and we know exactly how to do that. And, uh, but, you know, Hot Butter Rum wouldn't, be appropriate for other things. And so, um, yeah, I want to fit into those things. You know, it's also a matter of, you know, there's some practical considerations too, where I want to like keep working. I want to work all the time and hot buttered rum. There's only so many 
places that hot butter rum can play. I, you know, we, we, we've sort of decided to, to just be um, a band that is like, you know, the Western half of the United States. And there, there was a point in time when we were touring Chicago and New York and Vermont and, and, and the Southeast and going to all those places every year. And I just, I don't want to do that anymore. And, you know, if there was, if there was like, uh, if, if the world was screaming, if the Southeast was screaming, screaming, screaming for us, then we, we would do it. But we're, we're putting our, our efforts into uh, sort of a smaller touring radius. So anyway, there's only, you know, there's only so many hot butter rum shows. And so I, I want to be able to do small scale shows that, I, that, that I can, you know, so I have things to do every week and that's, that's how I want it. Yeah. So any last words of wisdom that you'd like to leave with our listeners or just any last thoughts about music and healing that, that come up for you? Well, I think that uh, music is for everybody. There's all kinds of ways to dissipate um, and to, to be part of it. So, you know, I was talking about like the master drummer context um, uh, in every music in the Volta region. So there would be the, the master drummer, but then there's, there's a role for like everybody. There's a role for like some other, like very good drummers to, you know, play supporting drum parts. Um, people who can keep a beat. Uh, there's, there's either like a, um, a uh, like a, a, there are these like wood, wood clapper things that you do, or you, or you, you clap your hands there. There's, a role for people to dance and the, and the dance part adds something to the music, adds even rhythms to the music that aren't in the audio part of the music. And so, um, and there's, you know, there's like a role for the village idiot to come and, you know, be the goofy guy. And, uh, and so it, it brings everybody together and there's um, an aspect of participation for everybody. And, you know, the, the Western context, the European context of music, especially classical music, is is more like you go sit and like look at the masters up on stage with the proscenium arch, and and you observe greatness. And um, I'm sure that folk music in Europe, for all the time, even though it wasn't documented, was more more participatory. I'm sure of that. But um, you know, like the European influences is, is maybe less participation, but I would encourage everybody to find the way that they can participate in, in music in big and small ways. And you don't have to be a music master. You can, um, uh, you know, find that clapping part and consider yourself part of the music when you're in the room where music is happening. I love that so much. Thank you, Nat. <laughs> yeah, me too. Yeah. Thank you. You bet. All right. One last question. Where can people find the video of the dances in Ghana if they want to check that out? Oh, yeah. Um, you know, it would be easier. It's, it's called the the dance and music of the Awudame region. Okay. And uh, I'll I'll give okay. you the link. Um, but you can you can look that up. It's on YouTube. Yeah. And, and we'll include it in the show notes. So awesome. Cool. Thank you Sounds so good. much, Nat. We so appreciate you coming and spending some time with us and sharing that, all of your stories. Great. It's been awesome. Great interviews. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much. It was so wonderful to get to know you a little better. Or you bet. I'm sure we'll cross like, get to know again. you. Oh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yay. All right. Well, we will be right back. What an interesting human being. 
that Nat is. <laughs> yes, he is. And so many stories. I mean, we just tapped into a few of them, but I'm sure he has many more stories to share. I know. Yeah. So many of our guests are so interesting. I always want to do like a five-parter with them. <laughs> He's definitely one of them. Yeah, I loved hearing more about his travels in Africa. And I think it's so cool that he got to document those dances for that community. Like how, what a gift to them to be able to, you know, have that. And hopefully they have the resources to be able to, to watch it. But yeah, I just love really thinking about and hearing about how more indigenous cultures have used the power of music and dance in their communities. So that was really cool. Yeah, it kind of made me think about how some bands, I mean, Grateful Dead started it and Fish does it and has like the taper section. So there's people that have just recorded the live shows. And I mean, now I know there's like more professional ones because like live fish and um, it's for directly from the soundboard. But I also loved the ones from back at the day where you could really hear the crowd or you might hear somebody talking because it really brought you into the experience of what a show was like and passing the music down. Mm -hmm. Yeah, which and you could still access that. I mean, thank goodness for the taper still like I know I was having some trouble with my access or like my ticket codes for the last fish shows that I saw in the fall. But I could go to the re-listen app, which is essentially archive and listen to the show like the next day. And yeah, yeah, it's not as good a quality because you do have the audience in there, but it's still I get to hear the full the fullness of the show. Yeah, it's it's so important to pass those traditions down. Um, that's kind of what O'Teal and Butch Trucks and Luther Dickinson started at the Roots Rock Revival Camp because it's a camp to continue the music of Allman Brothers and Grateful Dead and where you're actually learning from the legends themselves. Mm. And it's so cool because there's people of all ages at that camp. So there's and there's entire families and they're all learning how to play that music and listen to that music. And it's I feel like it, it's so important. It is so important. It, it, yeah, it tells the story of what times were like at that time and those African dances to be able to be documented like that so they can be watched forever and ever mm. is really important work. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And we talked a little bit about that in the Jay Blakesburg episode too, because he's also, you know, documenter of all of this through his photograph and just, yeah, just how important. And even with our podcast, you know, we're also yeah. documenting this too. So we're all coming together to make sure that this information gets passed down and how can we highlight it in our own specific expertise so what else stood out to you in the Nat Keith interview? I really love how he has, you know, he's a music creator and it was really inspiring to hear how he has these different avenues of like delivering his music to the world. And I thought that was really interesting and how he's really diving into all of those things because one thing doesn't satisfy all of the parts of him that he wants to express. And so he has all these different projects which make him fully expressed. And also very aligned with what he was saying that he had taken from his work in Africa and about how different contexts require different musical experiences. Right. And so now he has all the options for all the contexts. It seems like, you know, maybe there's yeah. something that 
somebody might want from him that he would just have to say, no, sorry, that's not what I do. But (laughs) he's gotten so much covered, whether you need a late night DJ or a festival party set or a intimate backyard concert, you can contact Nat Keith. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Do it now. <laughs> yes. Well, I also really loved what Nat had to say at the very end of the interview. And I would love to dive a little bit deeper into that in the... Did you know... Nat talks about participation in live music, and I am all about participation in live music. This has been a topic that I've been really passionate about since I really started focusing on the power of live music. And I've done a lot of work with this, whether it's like helping people get more intentional in their festival experiences or the work that I do with Embodied Groove to help people warm up for the experience of live music and really to just kind of say that, yeah, as audience members, we do play a role in this. And that started the interview by talking about that, right? By talking about this hot show that he had just performed in Portland, Oregon. We didn't say the city, but if you were at Hot Buttered Rum in Portland, Oregon, you were lucky. (laughs) The beginning of November, he is talking about you. (laughs) (laughs) You're famous. (laughs) Yes. So, you know, and like Nat was saying, it just takes one or two people that are really into it and really connected and they can help elevate the show to just a new place. And I don't think most of us realize the power that we hold as audience members in that. Um, But we do have that power. And once you realize that and once, you know, you can show up to the experience. So the other thing that I like to say is that like, the musicians, they do so much preparation for the show. You know, they practice and they write the set list and they've done all of this preparation and setting intentions for what they want to bring. And we can do the same thing. And, you know, we don't just have to like show up and be a passive participant. Like we can be an active participant in this. And how that can look can be different ways. Like maybe you set an intention of what you want to experience or Maybe you do a little warm up in your body so that you can dance as hard as you want to, or maybe you are intentional in where you are in the venue, or maybe you say a little prayer around yourself for protection from negative energies or whatever it might be. Like we have the ability to do a lot before a show so that we can show up as our highest and best self so that we can help take the experiences as high and as elevated as we can, just like the musicians are doing for it too. Yeah, I love that so much. It's also about the we at a show and not just the you. Like you are a part of the we and like how you are at a show also affects the other people that are at a show too. My parents were just saying they went to this Rolling Stones concert and there were these like six people that were all standing during the songs where everybody was sitting and they refused to sit down and they were causing distress to like everybody around them because these people couldn't see. Mm -hmm. And but they only cared about themselves and their experience where I feel like when you're at a show, you want to think about yourself and having the best time ever. But also like how I want to be is I want to like not have a negative impact on somebody else's experience as well. So like thinking about yourself and the collective, because it is about all of us and being present. So you have an impact on the musicians 
and you also have an impact on all the people that are around you and yourself and the world and the energetics of the entire world (laughs) if you're like vibrating high at a show. That's true. That's true. And I just want to also say that there is a fine line between being worried about how you're impacting the people around you and being able to be present and enjoy the show. Because I know a lot of people and maybe you as a listener feel this way too. It's like we get really in our head about how we're being perceived by other people. So, you know, I just want to throw that out to like, I don't want anybody to be really preoccupied by that so that it takes away from their experience. Yeah. I guess it's more of like acting with loving kindness for all those involved, including yourself. Mm-hmm. So it's not necessarily that someone's like, oh, that person looks stupid, but more of just like, just be kind to everybody. Right. This is more of what I'm. And so in that situation, like if a person really felt like to have their best experience, they needed to be standing the whole time, then they could move somewhere else. Right. So that then they're not impacting the person that's sitting behind them or all the people that are sitting behind them, but then they could still stay true to what they feel like they really need to have their best show experience. Yeah. It's so funny you say that because I, my, my mom was telling me this story and I had just been at a show like two days before that and it was a seated show, but the music was like, awesome. I couldn't sit still. So I went Mm -hmm. over to the very side where I wasn't blocking anyone and I started dancing, which then started a revolution and everyone started dancing. And then the Mm -hmm. musician on stage was like, everybody up and dance. And then everybody was dancing. But if I stood up right then, I would have been blocking people. Mm -hmm. And like, I don't want to do that. I want everyone to have a great experience. So yeah. All right. Well, for my section. Daily Jam. If you feel comfortable going out to a show, then you can go out to a show. If you don't, you can also do this by watching a live stream. You can totally have an impact there too. So for the Daily Jam, you are going to either go to a show or watch a live stream and just be really present and see how you are a part of that amazing experience that was happening. And then head on over to the Groove Therapy podcast community and let us know how that went for you and how it felt different by having that intention of being present and part of the show. Yeah. And so Tara Lee, what are some ways that a person can be more present at a show? That is a good question. (laughs) How are you more present at a show? Yeah. Do you know? Sure. You know, I think any of the things that we've talked about that we do in preparation for a show can help anyone, ourselves and and you included, to be more present. So whether that is setting an intention for what you want to experience at the show. So you just bring a little bit of consciousness about like, what do you want to receive? Or what do you want to give? So that you're aware of that while you're there. Also taking a couple of mindful breaths, you know, just like we did at the very beginning of this podcast, that can help bring you more present you know, just noticing how the music is moving through you and how that might be having an effect on other people, whether that's the band or inspiring the people around you, like you were just saying in your example of when you were at the show and you moved to the side and you inspired other people to start moving, like just notice the ripple effect that that some of your actions can have on other people, positive or negative. Yeah, absolutely. That just reminds me of one of the things that I do before a show is I say like, 
I'm so grateful to be here at this show, and I'm open to all of the magic and possibilities that can happen at this show. And so it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I always say that, and I feel like that makes a big difference because then I'm open to whatever is. And then I don't really, it kind of releases the expectations of what I think I'm, is supposed to happen, and I'm just open to whatever is. And I also want to say that I don't want you to feel like you have to show up to a show always as your highest and best self or in a positive (laughs) way. Like a lot of us go to live music because that helps us to get there. And we're not necessarily there when we arrive or maybe you're having a bad day and you just like can't get there on your own. But maybe your intention is to tap into the healing power of live music or to be able to release whatever stress it is that you're going through or, you know, to get out of your head or whatever it might be. So I don't want you to feel like you have to be in that place when you arrive, but maybe that's part of your intention for what you receive from the show. Yeah, that's such a good point because there's definitely times where I've come like not as my best self and I'm feeling angry or sad about something or I'm just going through some really hard times and then as we've talked about so many times, music is such a healing experience. And if I can allow it to do its thing, I often leave much better than how I arrived. Yeah. So it's true. There's no pressure to be a shining beacon of love and light every time you walk into a venue. No. And then that allows actually a little bit more flexibility for how you are in that space. If you're not feeling it, maybe you don't go and stand in the front row and you like stay a little off to the side or, you know, go and find a quieter spot in the venue. Or if you're like, really want to feel it and you are feeling it and you want to be that beacon of light, then go find yourself in the front row and do your thing and inspire others. Yeah, actually, my friend's daughter came with us to JRAD, but she's not really into that kind of music. And she wasn't feeling so great. Um, but she decided to go to the show anyway. And she brought her ear pl- like her earbuds and put in the music that she really likes. <laughs> and was just having the best time because she said she was feeding off the energy of everybody. Mm-hmm. So even though she like wasn't having this collective experience of that actual music because she was listening to completely different music, <laughs> she still showed up as she was and did that and had like the best time ever. I love that. So it's like, who's to say how you do a show? Like there's no right or wrong way to do it. Like she was listening to EDM music while <laughs> they're playing Grateful Dead music and still having the greatest time. That's right. Yeah. So the important part is being authentic to you and what you need in the moment. And just knowing that when you do that, it's all going to work out. Yeah. Yeah. Yay. (laughs) Well, we are so grateful for each and every one of you for listening to our podcast every week, or maybe this is the first one that you've ever listened to. Welcome to the party. We're so grateful that you're here. Yes. And if you have been inspired by this podcast or others of ours, then we would love for you to share that episode with at least one other person so that you can help spread the word and help get other people interested in in what we're talking about, the connection between live music and health and wellness and the groove therapy lifestyle. That would be really meaningful to us. Yeah. And then take a moment and look at your phone right now and give us a five-star review. And if you do, write us on Instagram at Groove Therapy Podcast and let us know. And we're going to pick a bunch of names out of a hat of everyone who did. And then you'll win a dance party with us for you and your friends. That's right. So we just need you to show us that you wrote the review and tell us how to get in touch with you if you win. 
And yeah, we'll have a lot of fun dancing with you and we can talk group therapy for a little bit. Yay. I'm super excited for that. Yeah. So while you're there on Instagram, definitely follow us at the Groove Therapy Podcast. Also join our Facebook group at Groove Therapy Podcast Community and um, definitely check out the other Osiris-based podcasts because we are a part of Osiris Pod. Woo woo. <laughs> yeah. I think that's all the things, right? I think so. Yeah. Thanks so much for listening and we look forward to catching you next time. Yes. We love you. Bye. Bye. Bye.